Job's faith is not the solution to his suffering. It's the cause of it. I believe that that uh, statement not only uh, serves as an excellent summary for most of the book of Job, it also expresses what, in my opinion, is the real problem of evil for those of us who have faith in God. That is that uh, in addition to the physical and the emotional suffering that Job must endure in response to the evil that has come upon him, Job, as we see throughout the book of Job, is tormented by one great question, which could be stated this way. How can the God I love and serve allow such evil to happen? That is the real problem of evil. That's the real problem of evil for us as well, is it not? How can the God that we know from Scripture, the God whom we love and we serve, how can He allow so much poverty and sickness and violence and bloodshed to occur in the world in which we live? How can our God allow a three-year-old girl from Grace Ferry to be struck and killed by a bullet from a random and senseless gunfight? How can the God whom we love and serve allow us to experience such sickness and, and, and debilitation in our bodies? How can He allow our loved ones to suffer and die before their time? How can the God we, we love and serve allow us to experience such difficulty in my marriage? How can He allow me to see my children make foolish decisions? How can He allow my plans to fail so horribly or things to go so wrong at my place of work or for me to experience unemployment or so on and so on? This is the real problem of evil for those who have faith in God, the God of the Bible, the God who is both the, the, the creator and the ruler over all things, the God who is both all-powerful and perfectly just. Now, those who do not believe in the God of the Bible also have their own problems with evil. In the ancient world, for example, the, the other nations around Israel uh, did not believe that their gods were all-powerful or especially concerned about justice. And that creates its own kind of problem because they assumed that there were simply evil forces in the world which their gods were, had no power over or that their gods were not all that concerned to do anything about evil in the first place. And the result of that is a kind of, a, a kind of fatalism in which you simply assume that evil is part of this world, an inescapable reality in life, and that there is no hope of ever escaping from it or of things ever being different. That's a, another kind of problem of evil. Of course, in our modern world, many people do not believe in God at all any longer. And if that's where you're at this morning, I just want you to consider that unbelief in all of its forms also has a kind of problem with evil that could be stated this way. I question the existence of God because of all the evil that I see in the world. But now I must ask myself, where do I get this notion of evil in the first place? The notion of evil assumes that something is wrong with the world that things are not the way they're supposed to be. But once I've removed God from my thinking, it actually becomes very difficult to, to understand uh, why things in the world are wrong 
why it is that things in the world and all the pain and suffering that we see are not simply the way things are supposed to be. But if all the pain and the suffering in the world is simply the way things are and the way things are supposed to be, why am I so upset about it in the first place? There is, ironically, a, a kind of argument for God from evil. But that's not the problem that I want us to talk about this morning. The, the problem that I want us to think about this morning is the problem of evil for those of us who have faith in the God of Scripture. Maybe we could allow uh, an atheist philosopher to state our problem as clearly as possible. One philosopher states it this way. If an all-powerful and just God exists, He would not allow pointless evil. But there is much pointless evil in the world, and therefore an all-powerful and just God cannot exist. Now I realize that that's a, a very philosophical sort of way of stating the problem of evil. And that for many people, perhaps for many of you, the problem of evil isn't really so much a philosophical issue as it's an intensely personal one. So the problem isn't so much that you can't believe in a God who would allow pointless evil, but that you find it difficult to trust Him. You find it difficult to worship and to love a God who would allow pointless evil to exist, who would allow you to experience the evil that you have experienced in your life. And, and I guess what I want to say this morning is that whether your problem is more philosophical in nature, whether you're more wired that way, or, or whether your problem with evil is more personal, I, I want us to, to, to face the fact that for those of us who have faith, the real problem of evil at the end of the day is actually God Himself. It's what we know about His character, and in particular the fact that that our God is all-powerful and that He is just. And it's interesting that in the, the book of Job and in this introduction in particular, those two aspects of God's character, His, His power and His justice, are very prominent. The book of Job accepts that that's who God is and it does not shrink back from, from dealing with the very real problem that God's power and justice creates given the reality of evil in our world. And so this morning what I want us to do is I want to look briefly at, at God's power and how that relates to the problem of evil, and then God's justice and how that relates to the problem of evil. And, and I want to be clear that as we're doing that, what I actually want to do is make the problem more acute. I, I want us to kind of feel the weight of the problem in something like the way that Job feels it as a man of biblical faith. And then at the conclusion, we'll try to come back and, and see if we can't move towards some solution, a more biblical solution toward this problem of evil, a solution that will help us to, to remain faithful and to continue to love and worship and serve God in the midst of the evil and the suffering that we all experience, as Tommy prayed for us just a few moments ago. First of all then, let me say just a few things about God's power and evil. When I'm talking about God's power, what I, what I really want to talk about this morning is the doctrine of God's sovereignty. The, the fact that, that throughout the Bible it is taught over and over again 
that our God is in complete control of His creation and everything that happens in it. Now, I realize that uh, this is a Presbyterian church. We are theological descendants of John Calvin. And uh, so if there is anything that we are known for believing, it is the doctrine of God's sovereignty, that He is in control of everything that is happening. But I wonder if we reflect much on the profound and practical implication that belief in God's sovereignty has for our thinking about evil. And actually, in a way, I want us to see that the fact that, is God, that God is sovereign makes the problem of evil very intense because, you see, once we accept that God is sovereign, that He is in control of everything that is happening in His creation, I believe there is only one logical conclusion that we can draw. And that conclusion is this, that no evil ever happens without God's permission. That, that's a, a serious statement. Let me say that again. No evil ever happens without God's permission. Now, I would suggest to you that that is uh, something that is especially clear in the book of Job. That, that's something that, that Job himself affirms at least two times in the passage that I just read. Job is a man who believes that God is sovereign, that He is the Lord of creation, that He is in control of everything that is happening in His world. And therefore, Job does not hesitate to draw the conclusion in the midst of his own great suffering that ultimately the evil that he is experiencing must be permitted by God. Listen to what he says again in that, that great uh, statement that's uh, on the front of your worship program this morning. Job chapter 1, verse 21. This is after the Chaldeans have raided his property and destroyed his livestock and killed his servants, and after this great storm has taken the lives of his children. Job says, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord, notice that, the Lord has taken away. Yes, the Chaldeans raid. Yes, the storms blow. But at the end of the day, Job recognizes that none of this can happen apart from God's permission because God is sovereign and in control of everything that is happening in His creation. And then a little bit later, in the very end of our passage in Job chapter 2, after Job himself has been afflicted with these awful sores, and his wife in verse 9 gives what... Um, we might call less than wise counsel. Uh, Job says in verse 10, shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? This passage makes very clear that belief in God's sovereignty means we must come to terms with the fact that evil is not somehow outside of God's control that even the evil we are experiencing somehow must be seen as part of God's ultimate plan for our lives. That is a profound thought to wrestle with. And I suggest to you that it has a profound implication on the way we, we think about evil and the way we live in the midst of evil. Now, I believe we can get to that same conclusion that no evil ever happens without God's permission by different means if we just think for a moment about prayer. 
Anyone who has ever prayed for God to deliver them from some evil has instinctively and implicitly, if not knowingly, acknowledged that no evil ever happens except by God's permission. Because you see, if if God has power over evil such that He can deliver us from it when we pray to Him, then obviously He has power over evil such that He could have prevented it from coming upon us in the first place. Or conversely, if, if God is not able to prevent evil from coming upon us in the first place, then why would we assume He has power to deliver us from it when we pray to Him? No, God's sovereignty must be understood as including the awful reality of evil. And somehow we must come to terms with the fact that that evil itself is permitted by God. Now, uh, at this point, I want to bring up something that is sometimes suggested as a possible solution to this whole problem of evil, and that is free will. It's sometimes suggested that because God has created men and women with free will, and angels and demons also with free will, that because He has done that, it's not possible for Him to prevent the evil that is occurring all around us without destroying our freedom. Now, first of all, I just want to be clear, again, as the theological descendants of John Calvin, we believe in free will. If you look on page 854 of your hymnal, you'll see that the Westminster Confession of Faith has a whole chapter on free will. Our belief in God's sovereignty, our belief that He is in control of everything that happens does not contradict the Bible's teaching that we are free. We believe that God controls everything that happens in a way that does not result in us being forced or compelled to do things against our will. And this uh, teaching of the Bible on our freedom and the fact that we're really accountable for the choices we make is very important to the Bible's teaching on evil because God Himself is perfectly good. He cannot actually commit an evil act. And that means that all of the evil that has come into the world in one way or another is a result of the choices of creatures that God has made with free will. But what I'm suggesting is the fact that we have freedom and the fact that we can choose to do good or evil and the fact that ultimately evil has come into the world as a result of those choices does not change the fact that that evil also happens only by God's permission. Because one of the things we see again and again in the Bible is that though God has granted us freedom, He is able to thwart our intentions in the sense that He's able to prevent some of the evil consequences of our free decision if He wishes to do so. Pharaoh freely chose to destroy the Israelites at the Red Sea. God thwarted that intention. He did not allow the evil consequences of that free decision to come about. King Darius freely chose to send Daniel to his death in the lion's den, but God thwarted that intention. He did not allow the evil consequences of that free decision to come about. In fact, I think it's important for us to assume that every day 
God in His mercy and grace is thwarting many of the evil consequences of the decisions that men and women make. If He did not do that, friends, we would live literally in a hell on earth. But now here comes the problem again, right? Because if God is able to prevent the evil consequences of some of our decisions, why could He not prevent the evil consequences of more of them? Why could He not prevent the evil consequences of all of them? I think where we're left and where Job is starting at is the fact that God's sovereignty must mean that the evil which does exist in this world exists only by God's permission. That He chooses to allow it for reasons which may or may not be clear to us. This brings us back then to the real problem of evil that God's sovereignty and His power creates. Now, before we look at Uh, what I think is a biblical solution to this problem, I want us to look at the other aspect of God's character which comes up in the book of Job and which is also a problem with regard to evil, and that is God's justice. One of the most basic things that the Bible teaches about God is that as the Creator, He is the ruler or the king over all of creation. And In the ancient world, and really in our world, one of the most basic duties of the king or of any legitimate form of government is justice. It is to uphold the distinction between good and evil. To ensure that the, the, the difference between right behavior and wrong behavior does not become utterly meaningless. And in the Bible, what is said again and again is that the way in which the king Uh, upholds justice is by rewarding those who do good, by ensuring that those who choose right behavior are blessed, and by punishing those who do evil, by ensuring that those who commit evil are held accountable for their actions. Just a a few weeks ago, that airplane was shot down over Ukraine, and I I heard a spokesman from Indonesia saying, we demand justice. What he was saying is we want someone in authority to acknowledge that this act was evil, it was wrong, and we want the people who did it to be held accountable. And I think most of us agree with that sentiment, that he's right to want that. That's the biblical concept of justice. And because God is a a perfectly just king, the expectation is that God will perfectly reward those who do good and will perfectly hold accountable those who commit evil. That's actually, that notion is actually at the basis of the gospel, right? Because we know that all of us are guilty of evil. We deserve punishment. And because God is just, perfectly just, He sent Jesus to die in our place. But be sure this, every evil word and every evil deed is brought into account by God, either through the death of Jesus Christ, for those who have faith in Him, or at the final judgment, because God is perfectly just. Now, I want you to see it's actually this policy of justice, this the way in which God rules the world that Satan attacks in a very interesting way 
in Job chapter 1. This, this is what he says in verse 9. Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You've blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land, but stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. What Satan is saying is that Job's faith is mercenary. He's saying Job only loves you and obeys you and, and lives a righteous and upright life because you bless him when he does so. If you were to allow him to suffer, then he would cease to believe in you and to worship you. So part of what's definitely going on in the book of Job is that, that God is vindicating his way of ruling the world by showing that Job, who is a, a blameless and upright man, will continue to love and worship him whether he gets the blessings or not. Of course, I think it's important for us to point out that Job never learns that reason for his suffering. And that's also something important that I think the book of Job teaches us about what it means to have faith in God in the midst of the evil that we experience. Sometimes, perhaps often, we don't learn the reasons for the evil that comes upon us and the suffering that we experience. The real problem with justice, though, is that there just doesn't appear to be very much of it. I mean, if God is perfectly just, right, and He's good, He should be absolutely opposed to evil, and He should be committed to doing something about all the evil in our world. That's the Bible's perspective. It's not how can God punish evil. It's like how can He not do it more quickly and more consistently? Who wants to believe in a God who is unconcerned about evil? And so the great problem is, on the one hand, we expect God to, to hold those who commit evil accountable, to do something about all the evil in our world, to make right all the wrongs that people experience, to, to bring about a world in which there is no evil. And yet what we see all around us, right, is often it looks like the righteous are suffering. And it is the wicked who are prospering. And evil just seems to go on and on unchecked. Day after day, week after week, year after year. And so these are the, what we've seen is that these two aspects, these two essential aspects of God's character, His, His sovereignty and His justice, are what really create the problem of evil for those of us who have faith. Now, in terms of moving toward a biblical solution to this problem, I think it'd be helpful to restate that summary of the problem that was given by the atheist philosopher that I quoted earlier. If an all-powerful and just God exists, He would not allow pointless evil. Because there is much pointless evil, an all-powerful and just God does not exist. I hope by now it's obvious to you that the key word in that statement is the word pointless. Precisely because we believe that God is all-powerful and just, we must as Christians assume there is no such thing as pointless evil. 
we must assume that God has good reasons for all of the evil that He does permit. We must assume that God intends to bring about a world in which there is no evil. That He intends to bring about a world uh, that is perfectly good and perfectly just, and that somehow that new world which He will bring about out of this present world, that new world will be somehow more good and even more glorious because it comes out of this present world. Because we have endured evil in this present life. That's actually what the final judgment is all about. It's about God as the King and Judge of all the earth dealing with evil once and for all and bringing about a world in which there is no evil. A world that is characterized by perfect justice and peace and righteousness. That's why the psalmists are always celebrating and singing when they talk about the judgment of God. It means an end to suffering. It means an end to evil. It means an end to injustice. And all the things that spoil the goodness and beauty of God's creation. We must assume that God has reasons for the evil that He does allow and that He intends to make right the things that are wrong in our present world. Now, I realize that it's very easy to say that. easy to say that God has good reasons for the evil that He allows. It's another thing altogether, isn't it? To believe that, to really believe that when like Job, you're in the midst of very real suffering. When evil has come upon you and you're experiencing suffering yourself. It is a profound challenge to our faith in the midst of that to say with Job, The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Is there anything that can help us practically in the midst of our actual suffering to really believe that God does have good reasons for the evil He's allowed in our life and that He will eventually make right all the wrong that we have experienced in this present life? I think there's, without minimizing the real challenge that this always is to our faith, I I do think there are a couple things which help us practically to continue to walk with the Lord and trust Him. There is our experience with evil and Jesus' experience with evil. First of all, let me say something about our own experience with evil. I imagine that almost all of us can think of some situation in our life where something very good has come out of something very bad that has happened to us. And and often in those situations, what people will say is something like this, right? They'll say, I wouldn't wish that experience on anyone, but I wouldn't trade the good that came out of it for anything. Now, I just want you to consider that if it's possible that in time, Even we, from our limited perspective, if it's possible that even we can see the good reasons for some of the evil that we experience in our life, is it not possible that in time, God, from His perspective, could have good reasons for all of the evil that He allows us to experience? What I'm suggesting today is that it's essential for us as Christians to believe that. 
if we're going to hold together the sovereignty and the goodness and the justice of our God and not deny the reality of the evil that we experience in this world. That's the first thing I think helps us practically is that we all have some smaller experiences of the way in which we've seen good come out of evil and, 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 and hopefully that enables us to see I can believe that God, as Romans 8 says, is able to work all things for my good, all of the evil, even when I, like Job, cannot presently see how what is happening to me can possibly be good. It's a matter of faith for me to believe that God has good reasons and can bring good out of it. The second thing that helps us practically, and I'll close with this, is Jesus' experience with evil. First and foremost, His crucifixion. The crucifixion is so important because it not only shows that God is absolutely committed to doing something about evil in His world, so committed that He was willing to become a man and to suffer evil alongside of us and to die a horrible, gruesome death on a cross in order to redeem us from the consequences of our own evil actions and along with us to redeem the whole creation. The cross is not only the proof that God is committed to evil, it is perhaps the greatest example we have of God's ability to bring good out of evil. The cross of Jesus Christ is quite likely the greatest instance of evil in human history. The crucifixion of the perfectly righteous Son of God. And yet, out of that horrifically evil and unjust act, God has brought nothing less than the redemption and renewal of the whole creation. He's brought something of unimaginable goodness and beauty. This is an encouragement to us that God is able to bring good out of evil. And then the last thing that helps us practically in Jesus' experience is His resurrection. A very good friend of mine who's a retired minister, after hearing this sermon, said something to me that stuck with me. He said, Adam, there's a lot of evil in this world that can't be made right in this world. And I think that's absolutely true. You don't have to think too hard to think of some of the evil that we know about to realize that some evil can't really be made right in this world. It can only be made right in the world to come. And the proof and the encouragement for us, the basis for our hope that there is a new world to come is the resurrection of Jesus. Do you understand that Jesus' resurrection is actually the beginning of that new and coming world? It's the first part of that new world that's kind of broken into the darkness of our present world ahead of time. Jesus' resurrection means the resurrection of those who believe in Him as we sung earlier in that great hymn for all the saints. Jesus' resurrection and renewal means the renewal of the whole creation. It means a new world in which God will make right every wrong in this present world. In which God will make all things new. It means a world in which there is no evil. This is our great hope in the midst of suffering. It's a hope that Job had only in a very shadowy and dim sort of way. But we have as those who know the resurrection of our Lord to be the great reality of history and the great hope that we have in the face of evil. Let us pray.